0: This is the Humboldt Chronicles.
1: I am the queen of everything
0: Gotta be high before I can sway Light a tea and let it be If you a viper I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. The Humboldt Chronicles is made possible by Charleston Tree Service and Proper Wellness. Much appreciation for your support of the Humboldt Chronicles. As proof that the chaos we've all been through in the last year dominated our attention and awareness, consider this the pandemic, the sagging economy, wildfires, hurricanes, the election, election denial, the insurrection, and two impeachments. All combined to obscure and overshadow a first in American history. Real movement towards federal legalization of cannabis. The U.S. House of Representatives passed such legislation last year. It's called the Moore Act. Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act.
1: Yeah, it's big news for sure. In normal times, this would have been a major story. It happened in December, and there's a chance it could pick up steam soon, certainly sometime this year. There's still more legislative work to do, but for the first time ever, there's momentum in the direction of federal legalization. Here's Ross Gordon, Policy Director at the Humboldt County Growers Alliance.
2: The House of Representatives passed the Moore Act, and now the Senate has said that they will be moving forward in trying to legalize cannabis this year. So Senators Schumer from New York, Senator Booker from New Jersey, and Senator Wyden from Oregon are the three senators leading this effort. And they've said that they will be releasing what they call a draft for discussion, they've said early this year, and then we'll be moving forward to try to it sounds like pass legislation through the Senate sometime this year. So regardless of whether that happens or they successfully pass that legislation, it seems like this year is going to be a year in which in the Senate, the details of this policy framework are going to be negotiated. So if and when the Senate moves forward, that would then throw the conversation back to the House. It's possible the House will also move forward on their own. My understanding is that because we now have a new Congress, the House will need to reintroduce the MORE Act. They can't just go off what was already passed, so there will be another conversation in the House. So I think kind of where we're at right now is that the federal government is now saying that they are seriously interested in a conversation on the details of policy development. Um, And so it's a time to really get involved in those conversations. And at HCGA, you know, we are very much seeking to get involved in those conversations. And I think it's a time for this to start to get on everyone's radar. I know everyone out there, if if you're a cannabis business or just someone who's impacted by this legislation, people have a lot going on. It's a lot to pay attention to. But I think this is the time to start paying attention to what's happening in the Senate and what's happening in the House and making sure that this legislation is going to be developed in a way that embodies justice and that works for
0: this community. The interest here locally, of course, stems from Humboldt County's unique position in the cannabis industry and in cannabis history. In this edition of the Humboldt Chronicles, we'll talk about the Humboldt view of all this. First and broadly, would federal legalization be good, bad, or a little of both? Should we be excited or worried? or both. Here again is Ross Gordon of the Humboldt County Growers Alliance.
2: I think it's a tremendous opportunity and also extremely frightening in other ways. It's obviously a tremendous opportunity to be able to export cannabis to potentially the rest of the country, potentially the rest of the world. It's also really frightening to see, you know, could this unfold in a way that is going to hand this industry over to pharmaceutical companies or is going to hand this industry over to vertically integrated, highly capitalized multi-state operators and that isn't going to benefit the legacy cannabis businesses that have been doing this for many years. In one sense, of course, it's good and it's a moral imperative, in fact, to pass cannabis legalization. But what, what we saw with Prop 64 is that the question is how. So being engaged on the how and the details. Is going to be where a lot of that conversation happens. Just to give one example, you know, obviously there's this conversation around potential felony exclusion uh, and potential exclusion based on convictions, and that could be really catastrophic for a lot of people if if that's something which has not changed. Another example, you know, we've done all this work in California for many many years now around protecting the Humboldt name and protecting county of origin and protecting appellations of origin, and for providing uh, opportunities through, for example, the Humboldt name or through appellations for Farmers who are growing craft cannabis to be able to have a chance in a market that's going to be increasingly commoditized. So I think there's a question is that something which is going to receive recognition at the federal level? And I think it has to. You know, it's great to have protections for the Humboldt name in in California, but if those same protections can't be enforced in New York, if those same protections can't be enforced eventually in France or in Germany, in Australia or wherever all around the world, then it's not going to give Humboldt farmers a chance to be competitive with the you know tremendous amount of capital which is going to enter this industry from some of these multi-state operators and so you know I, I think it just speaks to the importance of how this federal legislation is developed and making sure that it's something which is going to make sense from the perspective of of small producers and equity businesses and legacy businesses
1: the impacts the good bad and the challenging will be apparent here in fact, the impacts might be more visible and detectable right here in Humboldt than anywhere else in the country.
2: I think it's you know, important to recognize as part of this conversation, and I think we all know this, but I think federal policymakers need to start hearing it as well, that there is no part of this country or this continent or probably the world that has more legal cannabis agriculture than Humboldt County. We have, last time I checked, 929 licensed cannabis farms in Humboldt and probably another two to 300 support businesses. In a county that has, you know, just over a hundred thousand people, so Humboldt County and, and the Emerald Triangle more broadly, and the legacy cannabis community in California, even beyond that, um, the details of this legislation are going to have a tremendous impact on this community. And I think we've all seen, with Proposition 64, for example, the importance and the impacts of cannabis legalization, and also the ways in which not just you know is cannabis legal or is it not, but really the details of that legislation ends up having a tremendous impact on day-to-day life in this community for a lot of people. There's
1: a lot at stake, and the prospect of federal legalization lands us at a point in time some thought we'd never see. Whether it's a surprise or was expected for a long time, federal legalization is on the horizon, and it means that we need to focus on getting this right.
2: We have a lot of members who are second generation here. You know, members who grew up through the camp raids, you know, they were impacted as children by the war on drugs. And whether that's your situation or, or you've been here for a shorter amount of time, just the idea that the federal government is finally going to legalize cannabis is incredible, right? I mean, it's, it's something that I think a lot of our members never thought they would see happen. So I, I think that's a lot, of, a lot of folks' first response. There's also excitement from the perspective of being able to be normal and legitimized as a business. The uh, idea you would have access to banking, you'd be able to finally, like, really openly talk about and, and be a normal business. Um, I think there's a lot of excitement about that. I think there's a lot of excitement about being able to bring humble cannabis to the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And there's also a lot of anxiety about is federal legalization going to move forward in a way that recognizes what it means to be a small farmer in cannabis? You know, the the experience with Prop 64 is I think a lot of people wish they had read the legislation more closely because the details of this really do matter. And I think there's a lot of anxiety about making sure that the details of this make sense um, and are going to make it possible to succeed um, as a small business in cannabis.
0: The nitty-gritty is what's important here. The momentum in Washington towards just getting legislation done cannot be allowed to override the significance of how cannabis is legalized, the details of it, and the gravity of questions like who benefits and who gets hurt.
2: I think federal policymakers want to do the right thing the conversation around cannabis legalization is centering questions of justice and is is not just about we want to get this done, but we want to get it done in a way that's just. So I think that's a really positive thing. On the other hand, and I I think we generally know this in Humboldt County, Humboldt County is not like other places. And until we go out and introduce ourselves and let federal policymakers know the unique culture that exists here, they're not going to know. And so I I think my hope is that they're open-minded. I think they're saying a lot of the right things But I think it's going to be a challenge over the next months and years to really introduce Humboldt County and legacy cannabis cultivation to federal policymakers and to help them understand why it's so important from the perspective of economic justice, from the perspective of recognizing the impact of the war on drugs, from the perspective of environmental justice. I I think a lot of policymakers don't recognize some of the dynamics and considerations around outdoor cannabis cultivation and the importance of making sure that as we have federal cannabis legalization, we're not suddenly bringing on board a bunch of new carbon intensive cultivation that cannabis is being grown in the places where the the natural climate papers grow growing cannabis. So I, I think there's going to be a process of education for federal policymakers, but my hope is that they will be open to and
1: interested in that conversation. So let's get to the nitty gritty. After a quick break, we'll talk with Ross about some of the details that need to be worked out on the way towards federal legalization of cannabis. Testing, pesticides, interstate commerce, taxes, the Humboldt name. Much more on the way. This is the Humboldt Chronicles.
0: Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Ross Gordon, Policy Director at the Humboldt County Growers Alliance. Ross says that it's no longer if, but when federal legalization of cannabis happens, possibly this year.
1: With that in mind, here in Humboldt, we need to understand what the federal framework for legalization might look like all the way down to the nuts and bolts. Here's Ross Gordon of the HCGA.
2: There are several agencies at the federal level that are proposed to be involved in cannabis regulation under the Moore Act. And I think one thing that that is maybe important to say at the outset is that The MORE Act and also other federal legalization that's been proposed is not proposing to repeal or get rid of the state framework we have in California or in other states. So this would be sort of another layer of regulation um, that would be on top of of state regulation. And then California would probably need to figure out what what do we want to do in response to that. But, you know, there would now be a federal framework on top of that. So obviously that's really concerning in a lot of ways, right? I mean, there's already such a density of local and state regulation and what, what would it mean for the federal government to come on top of that with even an additional set of regulations? So there are three agencies which are really proposed to be involved in federal cannabis regulation under the Moore Act. The first and most prominent is the Treasury Department, and the Treasury Department would be responsible really for a federal cannabis tax. And that tax is proposed to start at 5% of the value of a product and go up to 8% over, I think, three to four years. Um, And then after those three to four years, it would change from an 8% tax to a weight-based tax. So it would be more like, you know, per gram or whatever, per pound, per ounce, there's a certain tax on on that weight of flour or a certain tax on the amount of THC that's in a product. So the Secretary of the Treasury and the Treasury Department would be responsible for administering that tax. Um, It's proposed in the MORAC you would need to get a permit from the Treasury Department in order to be able to operate to ensure you pay the tax. And that's the permit which um, would potentially have restrictions associated with it, which are are really concerning based on, for example, a previous cannabis conviction. In addition to the Treasury Department, there is, and this is a really positive aspect, I think, of of the Moore Act, um, involvement by the Justice Department and the Small Business Administration in terms of reinvesting that tax revenue back into communities harmed in the war on drugs. So actually 100 percent of the tax revenue that would be raised under the Moore Act is proposed to go back to communities impacted by the war on drugs, whether that's for social services, for individuals who are impacted by the war on drugs, or whether it's for businesses that are seeking to enter the regulated market where the, the individuals who own those businesses were themselves impacted by the war on drugs. So that sort of reinvestment portion would happen through the Department of Justice and the Small Business Administration. And then the third agency, and I think this is really something that, that is going to be really important to watch, is the Food and Drug Administration. And what the Morax says really at this point is just, the Food and Drug Administration needs to hold hearings about whether and how cannabis should be regulated by them. So they really leave it open. But, of course, the Food and Drug Administration regulates pharmaceutical products in the United States. They also regulate uh, food products and herbal supplements. And so FDA regulation could mean a variety of things. It could mean a very strict framework that has a whole you know, enormous layer of, of regulation on top of it, or it could be something which is pretty hands-off. And, and the mora kind of says to the Federal Food and Drug Administration, go figure that out, but it doesn't give them any specific direction. So as federal legalization moves forward, I think watching how the FDA is involved is going to be really important.
0: All right, let's talk money, taxes. Here's a question. Will California adjust its state taxes on the cannabis industry if federal legalization means federal taxes will be added on top of what businesses are already paying to the state of California?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question and a a huge question. Um, And, you know, I think the first part of it is what is the federal tax structure going to look like? You know, and and what's proposed in this bill is five to eight percent, basically. But that can change, right, As that's negotiated. And I I think one thing that that really deserves a hard look as part of a federal tax scheme is if there's going to be a federal tax um, and it seems like the federal government is very certain that there should be is that tax going to be the same on all businesses. So for example, there's a federal beer tax, but if you're a craft brewery if you produce less than a certain amount of barrels of beer per year, you pay a substantially reduced tax rate. So smaller businesses are paying much less. And especially when you're thinking about, you know, the goal of the more after the stated goal is to promote equity and to promote small businesses, it seems like small businesses and equity businesses should be paying a reduced tax rate or perhaps no tax at all and maybe that tax burden falls you know, more on larger businesses, businesses being traded on the stock exchange that are trying to operate across many different states, for example. So I think that's the first question. What does the federal tax structure look like? And, And there, I think, will be a lot of discussion about that. But as you're mentioning, another question will be, if we do have a federal tax structure, how does that impact our state and local tax structure? And it's something which really does need a close look. California's tax rates are much higher than the tax rates in many other states. I think aside from Washington, California has the highest cannabis state tax rate in the country, and we also have local taxes, which are, in most cases, much higher um, than other other parts of the country. So the the tax conversation, I think, is going to need to be reconsidered um, in light of federal taxes, both in terms of what's the overall impact on businesses, which could potentially start to get very high, and also how does California remain competitive with other states that, that may not have the same level of taxation that we do here.
1: There's also an argument to be made for simplification. The Moore Act would tax all producers, like nurseries, cultivators, manufacturers, and distributors. HCGA believes it would be less bureaucratically difficult to just tax at the point of retail sale. But it raises a point that goes beyond tax collection. It might be easiest to make use of procedures and systems that the states have already created, such that a new federal legalization framework would simply reconcile and harmonize existing state regulations and procedures. I think we
2: absolutely agree and, and think it's really important that there is probably no need for another extremely restrictive federal framework on top of what we have at the state level what there is probably a need for, and whether it happens between states working out between each other or whether it happens at the federal level, is to start to harmonize and streamline some of the different state regulations. So one example of that would be recognizing uh, the Humboldt name and protecting the Humboldt name and making sure that cannabis sold anywhere in the country cannot be sold with the Humboldt name unless it was produced in Humboldt County. I think that would be one example. Another example would be in California, we have you know, the most stringent pesticide requirements and, and requirements for herbicides and other use of agricultural chemicals. We have the most stringent requirements probably of any state in the country. And that's actually a, a situation where I think the fact that we have those stringent requirements is good. In cannabis, we have a product which we can guarantee is clean. We can, we can guarantee is grown using essentially organic methods. And other states don't necessarily have any testing framework at all or a testing framework that is as robust as California's. So that may be an area where it is important, you know, to, to have a consistent set of regulations across states to make sure that consumer safety is being protected and to encourage the use of, you know, cultivation practices which are not harming our environment and aren't harming or poisoning people. So I, I think it's a question of looking at each regulation, and, and some regulations do have good reasons for them, and I think that pesticide regulations are one and there are many other regulations which do not have have great reasons for them, and trying to make sure that whatever regulatory scheme we end up is sensible and also is going to be able to make it possible to do interstate commerce across states without dealing with 50 different regulatory frameworks for cannabis.
0: Ross tells us that, so far, there seems to be general agreement when it comes to the issue of expungement. Expungement is the process of erasing, in the eyes of the law, any record of prior conviction for cannabis-related crimes. There is one point of contention, though, on this issue, and that's how widely and to what degree expungement should apply.
2: The MORE Act does include provisions for expungements, and there's been some conversation around this, and I've heard some concerns that while there are provisions for expungements, it may only apply to, to certain people. Um, and I think there's a conversation to be had around how wide-ranging are those expungements, and, and are they really reaching everyone who needs to be reached? And in general, I think there's an idea at the federal level about, you know, you have you have good marijuana convictions and bad marijuana convictions. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of black or white, right? Either it was totally unjust, your marijuana conviction, and, you know, it, it was part of the war on drugs and it should be expunged, or, you know, you were a really bad person, right? And, and you were a kingpin or whatever. And so you you don't deserve to have your conviction expungement maybe you don't even deserve to be part of the regulated market. And I, I think that's a conversation that needs a lot more nuance to it um, and understanding that not, not everyone falls into that type of black and white situation. And so in general, the conversation about expungements, I think, needs attention and also the point you raise where, you know, if people with prior cannabis convictions are being potentially excluded from federal permits, how does that relate to expungements? And I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think that's a question which, which definitely needs to be asked. And I I think we'll be part of the conversation about these bills as they move forward.
1: Just ahead, peering into the future. Is there a chance that as federal legalization unfolds, different types of regulation will be applied to recreational cannabis and medical cannabis? Is there a chance that pharmaceutical companies will capture a large slice of the cannabis pie for themselves? That's next when the Humboldt Chronicles continues.
0: Welcome back to the Humboldt Chronicles. We're talking with Ross Gordon. He's the policy director at the Humboldt County Growers Alliance. Here's something to keep an eye on. Pharmaceutical companies and attempts to capture the medical marijuana market. The MORE Act doesn't really address this specifically, but Ross says the idea does seem to be on the radar of big pharma.
2: So I think it's very wide open, and it's a really, really important question. There's definitely discussion that I have heard about sort of a two-tiered framework. So on one hand, you might have adult use or recreational cannabis, whatever you want to call it, regulated more like alcohol. And then maybe you have a quote-unquote medical cannabis, which is being regulated more like a pharmaceutical at the federal level. And that's an idea which is out there, although it's not really discussed in the MORE Act in particular. And of course, one thing that is sort of missing from that conversation is we have this whole compassionate use conversation and a whole conversation about medicinal cannabis in California dating back to Prop 215 in 1996 and even before that. And the medical cannabis framework that we have is not a pharmaceutical framework. So even if we're able to create a system at the federal level where cannabis is regulated more like alcohol and it's not captured by pharmaceutical companies, is the medicinal side of it and the compassionate use side of it, is that now being caught up within a pharmaceutical framework? I think that's a question which the federal government, as far as I can tell, has not really even started to grapple with yet. The reality of of the conversation on compassionate use, which has been happening here in California over the past 20 plus years. And I think that's something which is going to deserve a lot of scrutiny and a lot of attention as legislation moves forward. I would say there's nothing in the MORE Act which indicates that, that pharmaceutical companies are going to capture cannabis. That said, when I have been part of meetings or webinars or or whatever the case, people who are interested in federal cannabis legalization, there are always people who are affiliated with pharmaceutical companies in the room. And so pharmaceutical companies absolutely have an interest in this conversation, um, and even though it's it's nothing which is in the MORE Act, I think it's something which really needs to be watched closely
1: over the next couple of years. Now to our marching orders. Instructions for all of us with federal legalization now seeming inevitable. Ross says there's still much work to do in Washington before any final piece of legislation is ready and before any federal regulatory structure is decided upon. So now is the time to get involved. The
2: first thing I would recommend for folks who are not already part of a trade association is join your local trade association. So it's it's our job at HCGA and it's the job of other trade associations around the state to have these conversations among you know, licensed cannabis businesses here and to work to find the best ways to advocate on behalf of businesses here to make sure that our voices are heard by policymakers. The other thing I would recommend to people... It's, it's to start paying attention to this, start putting it on your radar, and also to think about contacting your representatives. We live in a democracy. You know, our, our representatives represent us. Whether it's our Senate representatives or our House representatives, or you know, our county supervisors or our state lawmakers, th- these are the folks whose job it is to, to represent us. And Humboldt County and the Emerald Triangle, this is our culture. You know, this is our community. This is our our economic base. And so, I think it's important that our policymakers are hearing from all of us as trade associations, but also as individuals, and hearing the importance of this issue and the importance of really working in detail to make sure that federal cannabis legalization is going to work for this community.
1: Keep in mind that we have a brand new U.S. Senator, Alex Padilla, who assumes the seat vacated by Kamala Harris when she became vice president. Senator Padilla, along with Congressman Jared Huffman, need to hear from Humboldt County about getting federal legalization accomplished in the right way. You can phone the U.S. Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121. A switchboard operator will connect you directly with the Senate office you request.
0: I'm Chuck Rogers with producer Larry Trask. This edition of the Humboldt Chronicles will be posted soon at 941lounge.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, and at iTunes for listening and downloading. Thanks to our guest, Ross Gordon, Policy Director with the Humboldt County Growers Alliance. Finally, thank you very much to our sponsors, Charleston Tree Service and Proper Wellness. We'll be back with the Humboldt Chronicles at 6 p.m. on the third Wednesday of March. So we'll see you next time, March 17th at 6 p.m.